0: Oh boy. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Um, Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. Uh, my name is Joel, and I'm one of the pastors here at Res City. Uh, we are in our final week of our Advent series as we kind of prepare for Christmas. Um, I, I know we're, we're a week away. I, I'm sure people are getting really excited about that. I know I am too, and this just the season and just kind of getting to spend time in it through Advent is something I, I really enjoy. So let me pray, and then we'll get started with our with our message this morning. Lord, thank you that you uh, have come to dwell with us in the form of of your son Jesus, humble, lowly, um, one who who understands who we are, has gone through the things that we have gone through, God. We we use this season to reflect on how um, you have been us. You have been uh, who we are and what we go through, Lord, and that is part of your plan to save us all. Lord, from um, all the things that stand against us, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to, to find reflection on that um, th- this Christmas season, and I pray that you bless uh, the word today as, as we discuss and we reflect on uh, what it looked like for some of the people living in that time to experience it today, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, if you're a homeowner, um, you are probably like me and you shoveled your driveway like 10 times in the last few days. I feel like it just wouldn't stop snowing. Um, and so I think this is really relevant. Maybe you, you noticed this. When you got outside to, to shovel or before you turned the snowblower on, did you notice how quiet it was? Okay, here's something that's kind of cool. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Like, but during a heavy snowfall or right after it, it gets, it gets really quiet, and there's actually a scientific reason for that. Um, in Hannah Anderson, in her book um, of Advent Reflections, Heaven and nature Thing, she talks about kind of the sci- some of the science behind this. So a snowflake's six-sided crystalline uh, structure creates all these little small spaces um, between them, and they absorb sound waves. So it kind of works, you know, those foam, uh, you know, panels in a soundproof room? It kind of works like that a little bit, which is really interesting. So kind of all around us, we have all these, like, f- you know, panels absorbing sound, and it creates this sort of feeling that it's, it's much quieter outside than it actually is. And I think that is really cool. And so for us, living in Minnesota, where we get to experience that, you know, all the time, um, that kind of stillness and quietness after a snowfall, after the advent of the coming of snow kind of embodies this season for us a little bit. I wanna to talk today a little bit about silence and the advent of God, the coming uh, of God. And because, you know, snow defines this season, right? Good or bad, and the silence that comes after it. But as people who live in the shadow of the cross and the light of the risen Jesus, the coming of God defines this season for us even more so than that. And silence, just like when, when snow falls, silence is actually a really important part of the coming of God as well. One of the most famous Christmas songs is all about it, Silent Nights, right? It's one of the most popular Christmas songs. We're singing about something to do with silence and God's coming. And this series is all about speaking, God speaking to us. And we're kind of looking at the stories of these people who God speaks to um, throughout this Advent series, and we're digging into their story and I think Julie, I really love what Julie and Brett have done so far to setting this all up. But today I want to talk about uh, when silence speaks to us. Okay, how does God speak to us in silence this Christmas season? That's what I want us to really think about, okay? So uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about Elizabeth and, uh, and a week, sorry, last week we did Elizabeth. A few weeks before that, we talked about Mary. But if you remember the very first sermon in this series, we talked about a guy named Zechariah. Um, and we're going we're gonna to pick back up on his story today, okay? It's kind of like you get one half of the story then, but the story isn't finished, and we're going to really reflect on what happens uh, with Zechariah. So what I want to do is I want to give a little bit of a recap, just in case you, know, you don't remember or maybe you didn't hear that, that sermon or you're, you're not familiar with the text, and I want to offer you a few reflections on that as well to kind of help us understand w- what comes next when we pick the story back up with Zechariah. So what's, been, what's Zechariah been up to? What, what's his story? So if you remember, Zechariah is an older priest. And he and his wife Elizabeth, they're, they're a, a rural couple. They live in the hill country. And Zechariah is kind of part of the normal priestly duties that he had, would rotate into the big city of Jerusalem uh, when it was his turn. Now something very important, we'll, we'll come back to this in a little bit. Uh, he and his wife Elizabeth are, are, are uh, childless. Okay, they, they have not been able to have a child um, uh, of their own. In a, in a sense, you could say Elizabeth's womb has gone silent for their whole lives. Okay? Now, one day, Zechariah gets the honor to go all the way into the sanctuary of the great temple and offer incense. There so is a great honor for him to get to do that. And an angel is waiting in that holy place for him and tells him he's about to have a son. And he's supposed to name him John. Now, if you're familiar with other parts of your Bible, this is John the Baptist. So he's kind of a big deal um, in, in other parts of the story of Jesus. And he's going to be a prophet, but not just any prophet, the one who is going to have a central role in what's to come, to kind of pave the way, to set up what God is about to do. Now, Zechariah, hearing this, feels the need to object. And he's like, okay, that sounds like a cool idea, but the science here says that's not very likely. In my experience, old barren people don't have kids. Did you think about that before you came and gave me this message? As if God, you know, somehow missed that, right? And he kind of asks God to prove it. He's like, you know, give me a sign. Put your money where your mouth is here, God. Okay, I, I don't want to pile on Zechariah here. I want to ask, actually, I want to have a step into his sandals a little bit and try to really... Understand because I think it's important to understand where his skepticism or his cynicism comes from. I think that sets a good context to understand what God, what the angel is saying to him, and what God is doing through him. Okay, so first off, Zechariah lived in a time where being cynical was actually really easy, right? It was a barren and silent time, not just for him and his wife, but for all of Israel. That's the experience of everybody. They had been waiting for God to act for a long time, but they had been in this period of total silence. They'd been waiting for God to speak to them and move, and nothing had happened. And in the meantime, you had had all these pagan soldiers uh, move into their land and start to run things for them. So they're living under the thumb of these other people. And on top of that, like we said, to pile onto his cynicism and skepticism, they've been barren and childless. And for many years, we can assume that they had been praying that God would give them a child and that God would do something about the situation that they're in as a, as a people and nothing had happened. Now, I doubt, I highly doubt that Zechariah, a devout priest, had any doubt as to whether or not God could, in theory, cause them to have a child. I'm sure he, you know, he's not a modern-day skeptic who like, doesn't believe in miracles or something. I doubt that's where this is coming from. It's not ignorance. It's not disbelief that objects to what the angel says. I think it's something else. I think it's that specter of the ongoing silence that he had felt his whole life and the callousness and the pain of a lifetime of disappointment that's asking for a sign, that is having trouble kind of believing what the angel has said to him. I think that disappointment had been stirring in his stomach, stirring his stomach into a knot every time he walked by a garrison of Roman soldiers on his way to get coffee in the morning, just a a reminder of what was going on. And every time that he heard a friend or a family member was pregnant, just a thousand little paper cuts to the soul over and over again, bleeding all the hope out of him. I think that's what's speaking here. You can imagine what that does to to someone over time. Julie kind of talked about how Zechariah seems a little bit hardened here. He'd been serving God his whole life, and yet here he was, childless and oppressed. Likely stuck with all the questions that we can imagine that he would be asking. Tossing and turning at night in bed, not able to fall asleep. Does God really love me? Does he hear me? Is he punishing me? Is he just less powerful than all the other Roman gods? And as much as you might want to trust if you're Zechariah, those things kind of linger and fester, right? You can't really help it. And so Zechariah finds himself wanting some certainty. I don't think he felt like he could just trust God here. Deep down, maybe he felt like he was kind of owed that. And I think it makes Zechariah a sympathetic figure for us as we read. But this is the whole point of the angel's visit. The thing Zechariah is feeling disappointed over, that he's hardened maybe and cynical about because of all this silence, God is speaking directly to those things here. And he's mending them. He's delivering Israel and he's going to use their child to do it all at the same time. But Zechariah, while longing for God to move, it doesn't really seem like he's in the right emotional or spiritual place to hear this news. Um, His disappointment just seems like it's kind of been caked up so high in his heart that he can't respond in faithful joy to this awesome news. So that's what I think prompts that response from him. So the angel says this. Okay, look here. I'm Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. Okay, I know what I'm talking about, dude. I was sent to speak to you and give you this splendid news. Now listen, you will be silent. You won't be able to speak until the day when it all happens. Like what, like what Brett said, Zechariah gets the mute button here, right? I thought that was a really good way to put it. And so what happens is more silence. Okay, but this is interesting. It's not silence from God. This time it's silence from Zechariah, and I think that that's important. It's different. I think what God is saying here, the angel, God is saying through the angel is, Zechariah, you need to quit talking for a bit, right? You need to listen so you can really comprehend what's going on here. This is good news. And I'm going to put you in a little time out to let it sink in maybe. I think, you know, I think it's good for us to share our frustrations with God, I think it's good for us to be honest with him, even if what comes out sometimes is cynicism or anger. If those are things we feel, I think it's better for us to put that before God than to just let it be bottled up in our hearts. We have actually talked about this other times uh, in the past here at Rest City. But I think we need to learn when not to speak sometimes, too. Okay, I think sometimes, in fact, maybe more than we probably think, silence is the only way we are really going to hear from God and process the good news of his gospel. If we're trying to catch a ball, we're not, we can't be trying to throw a ball at the same time. We have to be ready to catch the ball thrown to us. And I think in the same way, if we're talking all the time, how are we going to hear and process what God has to say to us? Um, if you have been getting our Red City Advent Devo, um, which is so great. I just really love hearing from the different people at Red City writing this. Uh, Chris Heen had a, a, a post in there, or an, uh, an Advent Devo that came out this week, that kind of spoke to this. And I'm going to quote Chris here on this. I thought he just had a really, you know, really good point to make. Asking God to speak and then not taking time to listen is only lip service. Taking that to the extreme and asking God to speak and then being so busy seeking worldly success, running from fear, or numbing ourselves with vices that we can't hear anything even when we do take a few minutes to listen. I think we have to be intentional about this. I think it really matters that we do that. And That's kind of what's happening with Zechariah here. So that's where we left Zechariah. Now, we're going to pick up and see where he's at nine months later, but first I want us to pause. I want us to reflect on this a little bit. I want you to ask yourself, where do you need to be silent this Christmas season so that you can hear God's voice. There could be a lot of things going on that keep us from hearing God right now, right? For Zachariah, it's his own disappointment. And ultimately, it's his own voice that seems to be getting in the way of really hearing what God has to say. And so maybe that's you. Maybe your disappointment with the way the world is, and just feeling like you need to verbalize that disappointment to yourself and others— You know, while a good thing, I think, oftentimes is actually getting in the way of you hearing what God has to say to speak to that disappointment, right? You might think God doesn't care, but in reality, we can get so attached, I think, to our opinions, our hurts, our disappointments, that we actually miss it when God speaks because we're uh, too busy hearing what we have to say or what we think. Maybe it's the season itself, right? Right? Maybe the Christmas stuff that we do around this time of year, right? there's so much of it, it's, it's kind of blaring a real distraction into your heart. right? All the other Christmassy stuff that's going on is actually keeping you from being able to hear what God actually has to say. The, the music, the Christmas specials, the lights, the Hallmark movies, the baking, the holiday parties, the traveling, all of it can actually get in the way. It can obscure our hearts from hearing what God has to say. Right? And we love this season, it's great. There's so much fun and joy to be had with all that stuff that we do. But I really think like someone who you know, deeply thirsts, who, is, who is, uh, needs some water, but they're going and drinking salt water instead of the actual real thing, much of what comes with this season doesn't actually satisfy the deep longings that we have. It's not what we actually need. And it can actually keep us from drinking the real thing. And on top of that, there's just so much other stuff that happens this time of year, right? Students, is kind of at a halfway point, and you've got all this transition stuff you're doing. Um, you know, finals are over, but you're getting ready for new classes. You're trying to cram in some fun in between. Uh, maybe it's end-of-the-year stuff for work or finances or just stuff around the house. It just gets so busy, it just piles up. Um, maybe it's, it's something else. Like, you guys, I was at the Vikings game yesterday. That was a ton of fun. All right, but I'm going to be honest with you. I've had a hard time about, you know, not thinking about anything other than that, right? That was really fun, but it's been on my mind and I've recognized like that keeps me from actually getting to hear from God. And that can happen with so much other stuff that we get excited about. And we miss the fact that God has spoken to the world and to our hearts with the birth of a small child. Like Zachariah and Elizabeth, he speaks to both our personal situations and also the state of the world itself. He's saying we're valuable, we're wanted just as we are, that we in the world are not worth giving up on, even in our sin and our cynicism, that we are never forgotten and that broken things can be made right. There is hope for us. But if we won't be silent what God has to say for us at Christmas, can't really get into our hearts and speak to us and change us. And that's where I want to pick up with Zechariah here, with the idea that God can change us as he speaks deeply to our hearts in silence. Because while the camera has been on Mary and Elizabeth, which we've been talking about the last few weeks, something has been happening to Zechariah in that silence. And that's why I really love this story, because I think it's very human, it's very us, but it's also very god we often fear that when shame comes on us, the story is over. That we're locked into it. That it will always be this way. God is done with us, right? And I was thinking about this a lot yesterday, right? I think really, Zechariah probably spoke in a moment where he wasn't really thinking. Something just, it just slipped out of his heart. It was something that was really there, but it just kind of slipped out. I doubt that, you know, if he had time to think about it, I mean, what would you do? Like, it, you, how, how much would you be thinking about what was going on if an angel was just standing in the room with you, right? You'd probably blurt something out too, right? And, I, and I, I would imagine that period of silence that he's in was filled with a lot of shame or embarrassment, right? Asking himself, man, why did I say that? Why couldn't I just have held my tongue for a second? replaying that conversation over and over again. We've all been there before. I imagine that you have felt like that in the past, but you can't really take it back. And what we see here is God doesn't leave Zechariah in his shame in his silence, his embarrassment, whatever it is. And I think it's a reminder for us that God is never done with us, that he works through ordinary, messed up people like each of us to bring about his plans. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of second chances. And we see this in this Christmas story. It's kind of a mini gospel story. And I actually think we see it in Elizabeth and Mary too, right? So for uh, Elizabeth, for example, this is from Luke one twenty-five. This is the Lord's doing, Elizabeth said. At last he has looked on me. He has taken away my public shame. For Elizabeth, the gospel story miniature is that any shame that she had for being childless is gone. It's been taken from her by God. She no longer has to bear that shame. For Mary, she says, God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me Mary blessed. For her, it's grace coming to the humble, the ones who are not looked up at in our world, but the ones who God pays attention to, the ones who have God's attention. He has spoken to them to change their fortunes and to use them to change the fortunes of the world. And for Zechariah, it's a second chance. And so now Zachariah, he's transformed by his encounter with God. Once again, he can't help but speak. But what he has to say is different than his earlier tune. So let's see what's going on here as we pick the story back up with him. This is Luke 1, 57 to 62. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there was no one among your relatives that has that name. Then they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. So the pattern, at least in their city, is to name a child after a family member. You kind of kept the family name going, and because they didn't have any other one, they were just like, let's default to the dad's name. Well, Zachariah Jr., sounds great, right? And everyone just assumed that that's what they they would go with. And so the pressure is kind of on Zachariah and Elizabeth now. Um, For them to pick a name, this is actually just kind of interesting to think about, to pick a name that has nothing to do with your family here is actually a pretty bold move. Okay, because what happens if this kid doesn't grow up to be a prophet? What if he's like still living in Zachariah and Elizabeth's you know, basement in his 30s, right? What if he's just, they're just like, oh my gosh, we really had high hopes for this kid, but uh, we were definitely wrong about that. We should, you know, uh, what if there's nothing special about him? They would probably feel pretty stupid. They should have just gone with the normal convention of naming their kid, you know, Zachariah Jr. or you know something else in the family. And we've seen Elizabeth has been bold here. She's willing to, go, to push back against that pressure because she trusts God. But what about Zechariah? Right? We know his disappointment at God's silence had made him skeptical. Right? That's what we've seen the last time we, we saw him. Would he have the faith to trust God here? Would he actually go through with it? That's the question that's hanging here as the camera turns back to Zechariah now. And he asked for a writing tablet, Zachariah did, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. He grabbed a tablet, he's like, J-O-N, this is what we're doing here, people. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So the, the astonishing events that have taken place with it get people's attention, and they're like, something does seem to be going on here, right? They're, you know, Zachariah couldn't talk forever, and now all of a sudden he's talking again, and they're changing the name of this kid. It all seems very weird, but it's enough to get people really excited about that. God might actually be up to something here. And once Zachariah starts talking, I he he just, he's making up for lost time. He's got nine months worth of silence, and it looks like he's, he's trying to catch up on that. So here's what he says. His father, Zechariah, John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Okay, just stop here. Notice this. It's prophecy that he speaks here. His time of silence has given him a word from God to share with people. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. So what we see here is that Zechariah is changed in his silence by God speaking to him. In his silence, God was speaking to him. In that silence, we can imagine Zechariah just getting hardened further, just getting angrier with God. He's like, well, you put me in a timeout? I've been, I'm already mad at you. You think, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm getting even more angry here. You're really starting to push my buttons, God, right? That's what silence had seemed to kind of do for him before. But, and we don't, we don't know when this happens, all right? I think it's kind of cool, actually, that we don't know when this happens. It leaves some mystery to it. Somewhere in there, that's, in that silence, Zechariah's heart was changed, In the way that only God, I think, can really change a heart. He goes from a skeptic to a prophet because of the silence. I just think that's so cool. From a skeptic to a prophet because of that silence. Now, like I said, we're not told. It, it could be something between Zechariah and God, some, something secret withheld from us. Like you know, so, something, uh, you know, just the sheer shock, right? Maybe the sheer shock turned Zechariah's heart, and God used that. Maybe it was just this long period of being removed from the normal conversations in the town square, giving him the time and space to meticulously check his heart and bring it to God in prayer, and let God work with it, right? There, are, We know actually there are psychological benefits to silence and solitude. It does help us find clarity. It helps with decision making. It gives us time to process our emotions. Maybe God just used that to really change Zechariah's heart. Maybe it was something very private that God revealed to him, like a, a word from God, a vision. I don't know. Something changed his hearts. I know I found intentional silence changes my heart often too, right? I, I like to try to find regular times of silence and solitude, and often I'll go in with some question or anxiety or frustration. And in that silence, bringing those to God, I sometimes, though not always, I won't say it always happens this way, but oftentimes I find a response from God in that silence as I listen. And I end that time with clarity to kind of get on with it, to kind of go follow God and do whatever he asks of me. That silence really helps to set my heart so that I can do it. Now, actually, we want to dig into this more. In 2023, we're going to be talking a little bit more about ways we can hear from God practically, okay? So, so don't worry, we want to continue this conversation. But for now, the point is this. Even though we don't see what happened to Zechariah, it's clear that something did happen. And so for us, I think the takeaway is this. We need some silence when we come to Christmas to let God work at our hearts too. listen, with everything else going on that we talked about that can be a distraction for us, silence can seem really boring compared to that, right? Like the festivals, like the cheer, the crazy hustle and bustle of just the holiday industrial complex, right? That seems really exciting. But despite the commotion of all of that, I, I don't think any of it actually really changes us, right? None of it would, would give us a real word to speak to others, like what Zachariah has. It might make us feel a little better in the moment, but that you know, it wears off soon after. In contrast, the song Silent Night, we're going to sing it here as a church right after this. It's a famous Christmas song, but it points us to, I think, a different vision of Christmas, the one that embraces silence. The whole point of the song is that in this quiet, humble, seemingly insignificant moment, something deep and profound for the world was happening. Unlike anything that had happened before. Or since then, it was taking place in that silence and stillness. It's fundamental at Christmas, I think, that we understand that that's how God works. We might think God doesn't work uh, great things in those types of small, silent moments, that He only works in the bangs and flashes, the kind of things that makes us really feel like, oh, this must be God. But I think it's usually the opposite. I think usually that God does His most important work in the small, silent places. And we see that with Zechariah, and I think we see even more so in the birth of Jesus. The Savior and King of the world, the bringer of hope and joy and glad tidings, entering the world without so much as a blip on the radar. No attention, no fanfare, just a deep, world-changing silence. I admit, I've, I've struggled this, this holiday season to find that, if I'm being honest, like uh, to bring myself in silence before this child king, born in silence, right? In other years, I've, I've had an easier time with it. For some reason, if, like I said, if I'm just being honest, I've had a hard time with it. I'm trying to figure out why that is and praying about it. It's okay if you struggle with it too, okay? I just want to encourage you to keep trying to find that. Keep trying to figure out what it looks like for you to find some silence and let God speak to you this this Christmas season. And as we finish our last Advent sermon and you you prep to go on uh, with the holiday festivities, that's what I want you to be thinking about. Don't neglect silence and stillness this Christmas, even if it's tough, even if you have to be intentional, you have to carve it out, you have to mute yourself or mute something else in order to find it. It's likely to do far more for you and connect you to God more than anything else you could do around this time of year. Let's enter into a time of some prayer and some worship as we kind of reflect on this. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we will uh, spend some time in worship. Like I said, we'll actually be singing "Silent Nights," a good time to reflect. And um, please take some communion. Christmas is is the season where we where we reflect on on what God has done for us, who He is, and we see that in the the great actions that He does, coming in, in you know in the in the presence of a small child. Um, kind of born off, off to the side, off of everyone's radar, um, and then as he grows up, uh, becoming someone who takes on, who is seen as a, as a villain or a criminal, and who's crucified or died, but on our behalf, so that he might take the sin of the world and completely change and transform us and the rest of the world. So let, let's pray, and then I invite you to, to partake in that time of worship and come up and take communion. Lord, we thank you That you meet us in silence and stillness. You don't don't ask us uh, to to seek out, to seek you out in in the big, high, and lofty places, God. You are not in those places. Instead, you are meeting us in the quiet and the humility, Lord, in in the quiet places in our own lives. Lord, and you are patient with us and tender with us. Lord, you, you simply ask that we seek you out in silence and you let us... you transform our hearts in that season, God. Help us to, to experience the gospel as we do that, as we seek you out in silence this Christmas, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.